Well, this morning on Father's Day, uh, we are kicking off a new uh, two-week mini-series uh, about the life of Father Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, and uh, we've titled the series, Following God's Promise. And if we're only that easy, right? God made some promises, God wants us to honor Him, and our only responsibility is just to follow along. It's exactly what God wants us to do, okay? But it's not always that easy, is it? There are challenges, there are struggles, there is temptation, there are trials, there are all these things that kind of stand in the way when we try to follow God and honor Him. All right, well, here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to start off with everyone's favorite, at least it was always my favorite, uh, growing up in school. We're going to start off this morning with a pop quiz, amen? Yeah, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start with a pop quiz. And you don't have to tell the answer to anyone. You don't have to yell the answer out loud. So don't get nervous that someone may actually find out you're not smarter than a fifth grader. And so, right? And the only lifeline you can call this morning is Jesus himself. Okay? So, so here's the question. Here's pop quiz. What is the most repeated command in all the Bible? What is the most repeated command in all the Bible? Now, you would think it would be something like, don't sin. Right? Or you know, don't sin or pray hard or give till it hurts, like something really spiritual, right? But did you know this, that the most repeated command in all the Bible is the command to fear not. That's the number one command in all the scripture. Like if you search all the scripture, all the commands are made. The number one command made in scripture was fear not. So if you didn't know the answer, don't feel bad. I've been a pastor uh, for 12 years and I knew that was repeated often in the Bible. But until recently in preparing these messages, I didn't know that was actually the most often repeated command in all of scripture. So uh, here, here's the interesting thing. Here's why it's so encouraging to me. It's a reminder to me that the lives were chronicled in the pages of scripture got scared just like we do. It's a reminder to me that the people on the pages of Scripture had anxiety. They struggled with worry. They struggled with fear. They struggled with depression. They had times that their faith began to falter in the face of trials and all those kinds of things. And it's a great testimony about the truthfulness of God's Word because the account of God's Word, the people's lives who were chronicled in it, are honest to a fault. And so it's a reminder because so many times... When we examine the pages of Scripture, particularly a character study, we kind of have this idea, well, like, well, that's Abraham. I'm like, he never, he, like, he doesn't struggle like I did. He had a totally different level of God's favor. Or that's Moses, or that was Paul, or that was Barnabas, or, you know, all these people. And we forget the idea that these are ordinary people. These are people just like you and I who had a special assignment from God, who honored God on his side, and God empowered them to live out whatever it is that God had. And so they struggled just like we do. They struggled with fear. They struggled with anxiety. They struggled with all of those things. And so this morning, we're going to examine the account of Abraham, uh, the father of the nation of Israel, and just take a little two-week little glimpse in his life and realize, hey, you know what? This is a guy just like us. This is a guy struggling through life, trying to honor God despite trials and obstacles and all those things. This is a guy who had times in his life, despite being Father Abraham, where his faith actually faltered. And so we're going to learn some principles about that and what that looks like, all right? So, Genesis chapter 12, if you have your Bible. Genesis chapter 12, uh, we'll be looking this morning at verses 10 through uh, 20 for a message title, How to Keep Your Faith from Failing. How to Keep Your Faith from Failing. Now, some of you kind of get offended by that title. Like you're thinking, listen, my, fa- my faith would never fail me. Like my faith is deep roots and I've walked through some hard times and God's led me in such a way and I've learned things about God this past year, these past 10 years and, and I've walked through trials and God has shown himself faithful and there have been times when it didn't make sense and God showed up and all this and, and my faith is strong and my faith would never fail. Matter of fact, I don't even think my faith would falter in the midst of a trial. And so maybe you don't like the title a little bit. Look, let me just ask you a question. Raise your hand this morning if you've ever worried. 
Now, those of you who didn't raise your hand, raise your hand now because you just lied. OK, so let's just confess that. Raise your hand if you've ever experienced anxiety in your life beyond a little worry. Yeah. Raise your hand if you've ever been scared. Raise your hand if you've been so scared you peed your pants. Would you just... <laughs> One person was like, hey, I'm being so... Hey. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. That was a gift. Hey, listen. In those times, in those times when we worry or fear or anxiety or all those things, you know what it is? That's a time when our faith begins to falter. That's a time when we know the truth, uh, theoretically, that God is sovereign over that situation. But practically speaking, we're not sure if he's going to show up or show up in time. And so what happens is we try to take control of the thing. Because we want to engineer the outcome, and what happens is we know that we can't handle it. We know it's bigger than us. We know we've failed before, and all those things. And so instead of living by faith in the confidence of a sovereign God, we began to live by fear and dominate all those things. Well, that's exactly uh, what happened in Abram's life that we're going to look at this morning, okay? And so we've all been there. We've all experienced that we're going to find an account of a person who's not some superhero from the Old Testament. It's a real person just like you and I who walked through that. And so it's going to be incredibly relevant uh, this morning. Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20. It says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now, as you notice, the name is spelling a little different, and so if you don't know why, uh, later on God would call him, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, and so his name became Abraham at that point. So, but the same guy, so if you're reading later and go, hey, are these, it's the same prayer, okay? So Abram, Abraham, we'll use that word interchangeably this morning, all right? So, the, uh, for the famine was severe in the land, verse 11. And it came to pass... Uh, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarah, his wife, indeed, I know that you're a woman of beautiful countenance. And therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me. But they will let you live. Please say you're my sister that I may be well with me for your sake, that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. And the prince of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with the great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here's your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Now, you've heard me say on so many times, if you've heard me taught, uh, that the, the key to understanding a text is understanding the context. And so let me give a little context of what's happening in this passage here. So Abram uh, grew up, you know, has come from a pagan uh, environment, but God called him. And God said, hey, listen, you may not believe this, but I can use you. And so Abraham is living comfortably. He's about 75 years old uh, in Ur of the Chaldees. And so right about the time that Abraham's getting ready to get some social security, God signs him up for a life of social insecurity. Because here's what God says. God says, hey, I've got an assignment for you. And I want you to pack up things and I want you to go to this place. And Abram's, you know, I'm 75 years old. And, and so wh- where am I going to go, God? And here's what's God's response. God said, I'll let you know when you get there. Now, that may be fine for your family vacation. So that, that may be how you travel, right? But listen, when God's calling you to something way beyond your comfort zone, that's not an incredibly comforting answer. That's not the answer that you want. And so maybe, so God invites him to, to this place and God calls him. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. It said, to your descendants, I will give this land. And God called it the promised land. 
Now, you're thinking how much faith is really involved. I mean, God himself speaks directly to you. The place you're going, yeah, you don't know the total address like you, know, like you couldn't put it in your iPhone, right? And get there. But, but listen, at the end of the day, it's called the promised land. I mean, how bad can that be? That would be like God showing up in my living room and saying, Brad, I need you in Hawaii. To which I would respond, here am I, Lord, send me, right? And so you think, how much faith is really required to go to a place called the promised land? Let me give you a little more detail. Canaan wasn't a lush, uninhabited paradise just waiting for Abraham and his family to move in. As a matter of fact, we, we learn in Scripture in verse 6 in chapter 12, the godless Canaanites were in the land and they probably weren't going to be real excited to receive this group. So there was going to be some opposition. Also, there was a severe famine in the land. We know that from verse 10. And so Abram had always lived in Ur and Haran, which are on the banks of the Euphrates River. And so they never wanted for anything. It was a fertile place. They always had food. They always had uh, all kinds of, you know, so they, just, they didn't want it for a whole lot. And so even though it's called the promised land, God calls him at a time in his life when he's probably wanting to settle down and just kind of chill out. And God calls him to a place that's a totally different environment. God calls him to a place where the known opposition, the Canaanites, God calls him to a place where there's a famine after growing up on the banks of the Euphrates. And so this may be the promised land, but guess what? It doesn't mean that it's out without challenges. It doesn't mean his faith isn't going to be tested. It doesn't mean there's not going to be trials and oppositions and all of those things. And can you just imagine the critics and his family, like traveling with him, inheriting that place, you know, finding out it wasn't as fertile and it wasn't, you know, the, the hardship and the Are you sure you heard from God? And listen, we've all been in a car like that. Amen. We, we, we drove yesterday for a round a little bit. So I said, hey, it's nice. Let's go somewhere. And by the time we pulled back in our house with me and her and our four kids, I got back in. I said, Tasha, when we pull in this driveway, only two people are going to be alive. And I hope I'm one of them. All right. And so he's traveling with all these people. There's grumbling going on. And so he's going through all those kinds of things. He's a real person leading a real family unit, going through real challenges in real life with real scenarios, wondering really if God's ever going to show up. Guess what that sounds like? That sounds like my life and your life, does it not? I mean, you could just fast forward the tape and this could be us. This could be your neighbor. This could be your coworker. This absolutely could be you. And I. this is a real person living through real life whose faith really began to falter in the face of these challenges, all that we're going to walk through. So I want you to discover this morning as we walk through this passage, three principles, three things that will undergird you uh, when life gets crazy, that will undergird you and keep your faith from failing or even from faltering. If you remember these principles, right? First principle is simply this, is that there is rest in waiting for God's direction in times of uncertainty. There is rest in waiting for God's direction in times of uncertainty. You know, the most peaceful place in all the world is not a geographical location. It's the place that you know that God has called you to clearly. I don't care what the geography is. I don't care what the address is. But if you know it's a place or a season or assignment, no matter where it's located geographically, that God himself has called you to, that's the most peaceful place in all the world is to be firmly in the will of God in your life. Now, the problem is this. If you're like me, you're not real crazy about waiting. Now, this is going to shock you because most of you have been operating under the banner and the assumption that I'm pretty much perfect. Amen. Yeah, there was nobody said amen at all. No one. Crickets. Let me tell you one of the great struggles I have. I'm not incredibly patient. Like, I'm not really patient. All right? Now, I'm not saying like, a lot of times when people aren't patient, they're really angry. Like, you know, they're, they're not patient. They lose their patience. It's kind of bloodless. And that, that's not me at all. Uh, Tasha tells me all the time. She said, you only have one emotion and it's happy. I said, that's not a bad thing. But when it comes to waiting and hearing from God clearly and, and pausing until I do or going out and being making something happen, being entrepreneurial, running ahead of God and then asking God to bless my efforts, if he would, because it would work out a lot better. Listen, I fall in that category a lot of times. 
And I find myself doing those things and wondering, did I really hear from God or was that my own ambition? And part of that on the fact that I'm pretty task driven. I mean, listen, if you're here this morning and you're task driven, you're going to agree with me that outside of Jesus Christ, the greatest gift of humanity from God is a checklist. Amen. Thank God for it. And so I find myself in that situation and why that's an admirable trait in our culture, being ambitious and all those things. Here's the problem. The problem is, is that I can run ahead of God and get off course when I, and before I get so far down the road, I don't even realize I wasn't sensitive to leadership in my life. So what's it got to do with Abraham? That's great about your life. We'll pray for you. Appreciate your confession. What's it got to do? The problem is that's exactly what happens in this passage. In this passage, we find out that Abraham is, you know, the leader and he's doing all these kinds of things and a, and a famine hits away. And so instead of waiting to hear from God, instead of waiting and finding God's direction, instead of reminding himself that the God he serves is sovereign over the famine, he just takes matters in his own hands. He just says, you know what? I'm just going to engineer the circumstances. I'm going to take control. I'm going to make sure the outcome is favorable. Guys, get in the car. We're going down to Egypt. And so we're going to do this. Now, how do you know that? Is it evil to go to Egypt? Is that why you're saying that? Matter of fact, in Scripture, uh, two different times we see in Scripture, Genesis 46 and Matthew chapter 2, we see God directing people down to Egypt for safety. And so Egypt in itself is not inherently evil. But look at verse 10. It says, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. Is there any mention of consulting the Lord? Is there any waiting and hearing from God? Is there any reading that and saying, you know what? What he did, he got along with God. He built an altar to the Lord. He sought God's face. He waited. He reminded himself that God was sovereign over the famine. He waited for his God to show up so God could have glory and fame and a testimony of God's faithfulness. No, no, no. He just said, guys, get in the car. I'm going to fix this. Now, you may be a Bible scholar. You may say, Brad, you're reading into the text. Because while it doesn't say that he consults the Lord, it also say, doesn't say that he didn't consult the Lord. So how do we know we're not reading into the text? Here's how I know. Keep reading. Verse 11. Chapter 12, verse 11. It came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to his wife, Indeed, I know you're a beautiful woman. And therefore, it's going to happen. When the Egyptians see you, they'll say, This is his wife and they're going to kill me. Verse 13. Please say you're my sister and it may be well with me for your sake that I may live because of you. You know how I took matters. I know he took matters in his own hands instead of waiting on his sovereign God. Because any time that God calls us and guides us, it never requires a, a forfeiture of our integrity to honor God. You understand it and follow God. You see, when God calls me to a place, God just says, hey, listen, you follow me, you obey me, you don't worry about it. I know it may not look well in your eyes. I, mean, I know you don't see I'm going to work this things out, but you just honor me with your life and let me fill in the gaps. Let me take care of the results. And the reason I know they never sought the Lord's direction is because in God's plan, there's never, hey, you lie about this and then I'll fix it on the back end. And that's exactly what he did. You know when that happens? It's when you and I try and take the wheel. Instead of waiting on the Lord's direction, he took off on his own and expected God to bless him after the fact. And upon God's provision, our faith is increased. But when we take matters into our own hands, guess what? That's when fear sets in. That's when we, we have to come to our own resources and our own wisdom, which is limited. We say, God, I don't see how this is going to work out, and I'm scared. Or I've tried to take over for I've made decisions before, and they turned out terrible. And God, I am scared to death of how this is going to turn out. You know the most restful place, in spite of all the stress going around us, all the decisions and trials and circumstances, it's waiting on God. It's just sitting back. Now, I'm not talking about carelessness. I'm not just saying you just let go and let God do this. Listen, it's waiting to hear from the Lord. And pausing until you do. And you may feel like you're further down the road if you just took it in your own hands. But let me tell you, you're further down the road away from God if you don't hear his voice in that decision. And instead of faith growing, guess what? It will falter. It will be replaced by fear. 
When we come to the place where the most peaceful place in all the world is this. When we come to the place where we start living out of the truth that the only thing we're responsible for is to obey God and leave the results to him. That's a good place for an amen. You missed it. Let me say it again. It's when we come to the place where we live out of the truth that the only thing we're worried about is obeying God and we leave the results to him. Good. You're with me. That's a temptation. Every time that you and I try and engineer the circumstances. Every time there's a choice. Well, I know this is what God's word says. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say that. Well, I know what the Bible says, but. But if I do that, it may turn out like this. If I say that, they may respond this way. If I extend forgiveness, they may think it's okay. If I reconcile the relationship, it may turn this way. All those things. I know what the word of God says. But listen, every time you say that, every time you say, I know what the Bible teaches, but you know what you just did? You just took a hold of that circumstance and you took God's job. You said, God, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to engineer this. I'm going to go in this direction. I'm going to make sure it turns out this way instead of waiting and hearing from the Lord. Waiting for his direction, waiting for his leadership and living your life in such a way, you know, the only thing that matters is obeying God and leaving the results up to him. Listen, that is a peaceful way to live. And I may not see the outcome and I may not understand how it's going to work out. But when I obey the Lord, listen, the results are in his hands. I don't have to have the anxiety of trying to fix it and figure it out. Now, let me just speak to this about waiting on a word from God. You see, when I first became a Christian, I used to hear uh, people say that. I remember hearing people say, I heard from the Lord or, or, or I hear this law as a pastor. Well, God told me. Now, here's what my experience as a pastor is. Uh, a lot of times people just have an idea they want to do. And so to make it spiritual, they say, God told me. Okay. And, and if you argue with you argue with God, right? That may not be your experience, but that's my experience. And so when I first started hearing people say that, like, I, I didn't know what they meant. And part of that was a fact that whenever they said it, they, their voice took on a different tone. And God was no longer just God. It was God. Like G-A-W-D, I'm like, I, like no, okay, now I don't know who you're talking about, right? God told me. I'm like, I don't know. So here's what happened. I began to get insecure in my faith, early faith, new Christian. You know why? Because I never heard from the Lord. And so I wondered, am I even a Christian? Like I hear people saying I heard from the Lord or God told me or God led me. And I'm like, I, listen, maybe I'm not really saved because I've never heard from God. And so gratefully, someone's poured into my life. And a few years later, they introduced me to, to a foundational Bible study in my life. Many of you have been through a uh, called Experiencing God from Henry Blackaby. My guess is many of you have walked through that Bible study. And so Blackaby walked through that study for me the first time and laid out from biblical principles, not just his uh, biblical principles of how God speaks to his people, how God leads his people. And here's what he said. You can write these things down if you've never heard this. He said, God speaks through the Holy Spirit, uh, first and foremost, by prayer. And so the most important thing you could do in the face of a trial is this, is to ramp up your prayer life. God, I need to hear from you. God, I'm really scared right now. God, I'm not, my faith isn't growing. It's faltering. And I don't understand this to just ramp up now. But here's my experience in my own life. Sometimes we feel guilty, do we not? Like I haven't been praying real consistently or my prayer life's been kind of here and there. And so I feel guilty like I'm using God. Like, God, I haven't been talking to you a whole lot, but boy, I really need to hear a clear word from you. So I'm going to ramp up my prayer. Listen, all that is is letting God know, God, I'm incredibly dependent on you. And God's saying, I knew that all along. I'm glad you got to the place where I can finally talk to you. And so God speaks to us through prayer. God speaks to us through the word. And so many times people say this, like, listen, I don't really know uh, what God says. And I said, well, we consulted the word of God. No, I'm just trying to figure this thing out. And I said, well, there's a good chance that God's already revealed a principle that we can make an application on already in the wisdom of God's word. And so why do you need a steady diet of God's word? Because this is this may be incredibly discouraging you, but I'm not going to be there every time you make a decision. 
And so you can't turn around and go, I don't, you know, pastor, what do you think? And so you've got to know how to handle the word and open up the word of God and study the word and grow in your knowledge of the word. Why? So you can navigate life wisely and honor God and influence others and make wise decisions. God speaks to us through prayer. God speaks to us through the word. The third area Blackaby talks about is God speaks to us through the church. Now, this is going to shock you. But there is a chance, according to the word of God, that every now and then I may get up and open up the scriptures and I may be able to direct you and speak truth. to God. You may actually get wisdom from me. Now, that's, that's a radical idea, right? That God actually uses the church. People gifted in the word called to the ministry of teaching. People in your life groups who expound God's word. And you're like, oh, I need to hear that and be reminded of that. People that stand in the pulpit, me and our staff and guest speakers. Listen, so many times I can't tell you how many times I've got down from preaching and I thought that was terrible. I said, Tasha, that was terrible. She said, amen, it was horrible. And that afternoon or that week, someone will call or email me and say, hey, you have no idea how what you said from the scriptures ministered to me. I'm thinking, really? Because I thought it stunk. And then I'm reminded of the truth of God's word that said God's word never returns void. Amen. And so, listen, if you're here this morning, you're looking for a church and this may not be your church. You better find a church that opens up and ministers the scriptures faithfully, because this is how God speaks. I don't care what the music's like. I don't care what people wear. You better find a church that ministers the word of God, because this is how God has chosen to reveal himself to you. And if you want to get to know God, it's not going to be independently of the word. And God uses the church. In that process, let me tell you the fourth area that God speaks to you that Blackaby expounds upon is circumstances. God speaks to us through prayer and the word and through the church and then through circumstances. Like sometimes you're waiting for things to align and God to confirm that. And, and once those circumstances come together, then all of a sudden you realize this is clearly God speaking. Now, let me just give a word of warning here. All right. If you're listening, say amen. This is the most dangerous way to discover the will of God in your life. You know Why? Because my heart is deceitful, according to Jeremiah chapter 17. Like, it doesn't take a whole lot of effort for me to get my motives off course and just, you know, try to do what I want to do. It may not, I mean, I've heard from God, but it's what I want to do. And so I want God to put his stamp on it. And so there's nothing easier to distort and twist around to validate what I think is the will of God than circumstances. Right? Like, oh, I was going through this big decision and, and, and I, I, you know, I'm just, I'm looking to hear from God and, and I didn't know if God wanted to take that job or marry this person or that. And, and it, don't you know, I was at Taco Bell. And I opened up a burrito. And there in the burrito, those beans were in the shape of Jesus' face. He spoke to me. Now listen, I've had Taco Bell speak to me. Amen. But not... <laughs> was that too much? Was that like... Was that too much? Transparent? I just heard my wife say, yes, Lord. Yes. So how do, you, how do you not let circumstances get you off course? Listen, here's the rule of thumb. If God is speaking to you through circumstances, then compare that with the word of God and make sure they align. Let me tell you why. Because the spirit of God is not schizophrenic. And God will never lead you contrary to the word. And so if you've got circumstances, you think God's using those circumstances to point you in a direction. Guess what? You better get with somebody else and say, hey, help me figure this out. You better pray together. You better consult the word of God together. And the word of God will never lead you contrary to the spirit of God. You and I don't pause and persist and wait to hear from the Lord. And guess what? We end up running off in our own direction instead of our faith growing in the confidence that God has called us and God's equipped us despite the circumstances. And guess what? Our faith begins to falter because we took the wheel and we're not that great if we're honest. OK, so listen to verse 12. But Abraham experienced when he did that very thing. 
Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you, they will say this is his wife and they will kill me. But they will let you live. The best antidote to worry is confidence in God's leadership, knowing that wherever he guides, he always provides. Principle number one. Principle number two. Nothing will challenge your faith like a trial. Nothing will challenge your faith like a trial. And so if you don't want your faith to falter, you want it to flourish, then you need to understand this principle on the front end. Let me tell you a bad time to decide that you believe this. It's when you're in the middle of an incredibly difficult trial. Like you're going through it, life is hard, and it seems like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, and you don't know why this is allowing to happen. You you know, search your life. Is there any sin in there? No, it's not a consequence. But God, you've allowed this sin in my life, and you're in the middle of thing. It's incredibly painful. Your faith begins to falter and wobble a little bit, and that's a bad time to make the decision. I'm going to let God use this to grow me. No, listen, you understand that on the front end. Now, I'm just going to be brief here, because this really is a continuation of the first principle we just talked about. However, in verse 14, we see the transition from the fear and anxiety in verses 10 through 13 about the fear of an unknown future. By the way, did you realize that most they did research, most of the overwhelming majority of things that you and I worry about never even come to pass? Do you know that? Like the overall, like maybe it could, it could, it could. And they did research. They said most of it, 75, 85 percent of it never even comes to pass. However, that's not the case here in Abram's life. Because in verse 14, his fears are realized. And all of a sudden it goes in verses 10 through 13 to it could, it might, it should, I'm worried, I'm anxious, I'm going to take over, I'm going to injure his circumstances. In verse 14, his fears are realized and a full-blown trial is creeping up on his life. Look at verse 14, what happens? So it was. And there are times in your life where you'll stand on the front of a trial and say, so it was. All the things I was concerned about. So it was. What's it say in verse 14? What was realized? So it was when Abram came in Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. Exactly what is afraid of happened. He looked at his wife and said, hey, she's hot. That's Cunningham paraphrase. And right there, boom, he's in a full blown trial. And when you get in a trial, guess what? Your faith that you thought was so strong, you're going to find out just how strong and how deep those roots are in Jesus Christ. Because nothing, hear me, nothing will rock your faith like a real trial. I mean a real trial, a painful trial that God has allowed in your life. Listen, it takes it to a whole nother level, all right? I mean, it's just that painful sometimes. Reading a commentary this week, I talked about this idea, uh, this idea that our faith begins to falter and going through trials and but, but, you know, we have a choice in those times. Our faith can be strengthened or we can live with anxiety and fear. And he said, that's a miserable place to live. Here's what he said. It's a little lengthy, but I want you to tune in because it's such a good word. Here's what he said. He said, it's significant that Abram's deception concerning his wife started with a trial, the famine in the land. He said, whenever we face trials, we need to be on guard because the situation can either draw us close to the Lord or turn us away. The words like be of sober spirit, be on the alert, your adversary, the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. First Peter chapter five, verse eight is actually spoken to four suffering Christians. First Peter five, nine and ten, we find out. He said, when trials said the devil moves in to take advantage of the situation, listen, by trying to get us to turn from the Lord to our own schemes. It's exactly what happened in this passage. God is sovereign over the famine. That he's not sure God's going to show up. So he says, I'm going to, as a matter of fact, I'm even willing to forfeit my integrity to make sure the outcome is favorable on my end. He says, if Abram asked the God who would later rain manna from heaven and bring water from a rock could have supplied his needs in the land during this famine. But he didn't bother to ask. 
And he goes on, he says, when you turn from the Lord to your own schemes of deliverance, you get yourself in deeper trouble and you have to figure out even more schemes like turning on a road that angles off on the main road. The further you go down the path of self-reliance, the further you get from the Lord. And that, my friends, hear me this morning. That, my friends, is the scariest place to be in all of life. When you recognize you've taken a turn of self-reliance and a turn of self-reliance and a turn of self-reliance and all of a sudden you realize you veered off the course of following Christ intimately and all of a sudden you realize you're out here on your own in your own strength, in your own wisdom, in your own circumstance engineer and you know yourself, you've failed before and it's painful. That's the most difficult place to be, scariest place to be in all of life. Principle number three is this. Nothing will strengthen your faith in the present. Like remembering God's faithfulness in the past. Nothing will strengthen your faith, faith in the present. Your face. Maybe you need that too. Nothing will strengthen your faith in the present. Like God's faithfulness in the past. You know, the great pictures of grace in this story is in spite of Abram's faithless living. God was still faithful. But in spite of all of his lack of consulting the Lord, despite all the temptation he gave into that his father loved him so much that he made a way of escape. And despite all doing it all wrong, God made provision to make it all right in the end and spare him and his wife. Look at verse 17. What's it say? He says, but the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now, I don't know if that's how God's going to deliver in your situation. Or not. Maybe you've prayed for that. God send them locusts. <laughs> Let it rain down on their life. Frogs. Verse 18, and Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? Now, just a little side note here contextually. By the way, if you go back in the pages of Scripture, that actually was a half-truth that he told because she was his half-sister. If you go back and trace it out. You think that's weird? Listen, that's a whole other sermon, all right? And isn't that what happens in the face of a decision? Like, we don't want to totally just lie and forfeit our integrity. We're just not going to outright lie and compromise our integrity where everybody knows it. But we're not totally confident in the sovereignty of our God over that famine in our life. And so we don't totally forfeit our integrity. We just kind of do a half truth, kind of bend the rules a little bit because we're not totally sure we can trust God with everything in our lives. You know what the best thing he could have done at this time, in spite of the situation, the fame and all those things going on, is to sit back and get along with God and say, God, I don't know how you're going to do this. But I remember when you called me. From a pagan place. I remember how you led me through this process. And God, I don't see how you're going to be faithful in the present. But when I look back at your faithfulness in the past, I'm moving ahead with confidence. Can I tell you that's the same formula in your life? And that some of you are going through some seasons right now where there's a lot of fear, there's anxiety, there's unrest, there's doubt, there's discouragement, there's depression. There's all those things. You have no idea how God's going to work it out for good and for glory and his fame and all those things. And can I tell you the most profitable thing you will do in those seasons of life we all experience is to remove yourself from the pressures of that trial and to look backwards at all the times in life when God showed up when I thought he was going to be late, when God made provision that didn't make sense, when God was faithful in spite of my faithless. It's exactly what happened in his life. That's exactly what God's calling you to. 
And as I look back at all the times where God has shown up and made provision and made providence in my life, then guess what? I can do nothing in the confidence but grow in my faith, not faltering, and move ahead in the confidence, not because the road is easy or light or even clear, but the God who has called me will make a way. And I move forward in His confidence because of His faithfulness in the past. That's exactly what God's calling you to. It's a Baptist church. You can clap. It's okay. Not a golf outing. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 13. Some of you write, need to write this down because this is the word you need to hear. Second Timothy two thirteen. If we are faithless, you've all been there. If you've worried, you've been there. If you've had anxiety, you've been there. If you've lived by fear instead of by faith, you've been there. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot Deny himself. Is that a good word this morning? And even though Abram's eyes were off the Lord, the Lord's eyes were never off of Abram. An incredible thought. Let me repeat that. Even though Abram's eyes were off the Lord, the Lord's eyes were never off of Abram. Abram, you forfeited your integrity. You told a half truth. You engineered the circumstances. You took your eyes off me. You got scared. Because you know the outcome, but my eyes were never off you. And so I'm going to make a way of escape even beyond what you could have imagined. Nothing will strengthen your faith in the present like God's faithfulness in the past. God uses a pagan king to get Abraham back on track. God used pagans in Jonah's life when he was fleeing on the ship headed for Tarshish. And the Bible says this. They said, who's doing this? And finally, Jonah confessed and said, I'm fearing the Lord and I'm, you know, I'm running from God. And these pagans on the ship said, how could you do this? Jonah chapter one. You know what that picture is? Picture of grace. Picture of undeserved favor. Picture of I messed it up. Took my eyes off the Lord. I lacked faith. But in spite of all those things, he was faithful to me. And even though we take our eyes off the Lord, he never takes his eyes off of us. And because of that, you don't have to live with fear and anxiety. And I'm not diminishing your trial, not diminishing what's going on in your life. But I'm telling you this. Don't take your eyes off the Lord. But even when you do, he never takes his eyes off of you. And you can move forward in the confidence of an uncertain future when you're reminded of the faithfulness of God in the past. God, I don't know how you're going to. But I sure remember when you did. God, I don't know what it's going to look like. But I remember when you did. That's the safest place in all the world. When your faith is starting to fail in the present, when those profitable things is to get along with God and ask him to bring to mind all the times he was faithful in the past and to thank him in advance for what he's going to do in your future. It's not always easy, though. It's easy to preach, right? Not easy to live. And I don't know about you. But so many times I've questioned the certain circumstances and things I could not understand. Many times in trials, weakness blurs my vision. And that's when my frustration seems to get so out of hand. Oh, but it's then I am reminded that I have never been forsaken. I've never had to stand one test alone, no. 
And then I look at all the victories. And the Spirit rises up in me. And it's through the fire then that my weakness is made strong. He never promised that the cross would not get heavy and the hill would not be hard to climb. He never offered our victories without fighting, but he said help would always come in time. And so just remember when you're standing in the valley of decision and the adversary says, give in. Just hold on. Our Lord will show up. He'll take you through the fire again. And even when our faith falters, our God is faithful. And even when we take our eyes off him, he never takes his eyes off us. And our father is the best father that ever was. Amen. Let's pray together.